2: hello everybody and welcome back to the new books in sociology a podcast channel on the new books network i'm anna zelnina the host of the channel and today we'll be talking to joanna florea agnes Goj, and kerstin jakobson about their new book contemporary housing struggles a structural field of contention approach this book was published in 2022 by palgrave Macmillan, and it's available open access uh, so, Joanna, Agnes, and Kerstin, welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, so, we'll start maybe this interview by just uh, a, f- a series of short introductions by each of you. So, Joanna, why don't you tell us a few words about yourself? Hi,
0: and thank you for the invite. Uh, I am a sociologist looking at uh, processes of uh, uneven development that uh, involve uh, Romanian cities uh, in the past decades. And uh, for this book project, uh, um, I did the research part in Bucharest where I spend most of my time. Agnes. Hello,
3: my name is Agnes Bledje, I am a sociologist. Uh, I used to look at social movements uh, and their relationship with the region's uh, long-term world economic integration. And for this project, uh, I did the fieldwork
2: in Budapest. Thank you, and Kerstin?
1: Yes, I'm a professor of sociology at University of Gothenburg And um, social movements and civic activism are among my research interests. And I have for the past 10-15 years been leading several research projects together with local scholars in Central and Eastern Europe on social movements and civic activism there. And maybe I can just briefly say that initially... My aim then was to challenge a little bit the then dominant narratives of the weak civil society in the region. And more lately, the ambition has been to develop lessons and insights from studying Central and Eastern Europe that can travel to other contexts.
2: Wonderful. And thank you all for being here and thank you for the book. Uh, I've been really looking forward to someone writing a book like this. So I'm really excited, excited about having this conversation with you today. Uh, w- well, then my next question is, how did you uh, come up with the idea of writing such a book? And uh, how did that happen? How did that project begin?
1: Yes, we have for the past four or five years collaborated in a research project uh, on housing challenges and housing activism in Central and Eastern Europe. Actually, we compared three cities in the larger project. We included also Vilnius and Budapest and Bucharest. And early on, we saw the need for what we see as an integrated view on mobilization, moving beyond uh, the focus on singular movements or instances of contention. Uh, To see the variety of types of activism, (coughs) but also the variety of relationships between actors. And um, we also early on saw the need for a context-sensitive approach, taking the structural context uh, very seriously. And then also to follow the field of contention for a longer period. So we started our focus um, on housing challenges and activism after the financial crisis of 2008 which affected this, these cities very harshly uh, and we've been interested in following them the patterns of alliances we've had an interesting cross class alliances the making and unmaking of alliances over that period of time. And one more thing, we had one concern with the existing literature on housing mobilization following the financial crisis, because we found that it was very much focused on progressive activism left uh, new left forms of solidaristic action while we saw the need for developing an analytical approach that could capture the ideological complexity we saw in our case studies including also more right-wing forms of articulation of, of the housing uh, questions. So these were a bit our motivation and we worked together for quite a few years now.
2: Wonderful. And uh, what about these two cities? So why Bucharest and Budapest? And what makes this these two cities so interesting uh, in terms of housing and social movements? And how are they different from other cities in Europe and maybe what are the potential similarities?
3: Well, the way we thought about this was that if we start from these cities in Eastern Europe that are quite typical Eastern European cities but they are different in their development uh, from European ones then we have a different corner, starting from which we can reflect on on the emerging narratives about what happened after 2008 uh, in housing, uh, what happened with the financialization and the uh, resulting tensions and resulting movements. Uh, so one of the interesting things about uh, these cities was that within the same way of the uh, of housing financialization, Central and Eastern Europe had a different position. Uh, It was uh, typically a subordinated position within the same uh, wave uh, of uh, housing uh, mortgage boom. Uh, One of the examples for this uh, is the foreign currency loans and and the resulting Forex crisis. And another interesting thing about these cities was that the politicization of the housing uh, problems, uh, which are slightly different, but of course, if you, you know, from a very distant perspective, they are similar. It's the lack of housing, uh, the very high rents, uh, and so on. Uh, When you look at the politicization of the pensions, then you see... uh, different patterns. For instance, the politicization of the housing debt problem uh, in neither of these countries happened uh, decisively by the left, but rather around central right, uh, right uh, political frameworks. Uh, and what was really interesting for us was that if we take seriously the structural givens of these cities and their position within the global flows uh, of investment and if we also take into consideration the political differences uh, of these countries um, despite their relatively similar structural positions then we can follow how housing is politicized in different ways and that's why it was so important for us as Kerstin mentioned to look at the whole field of uh, housing mobilizations not just take one or the other movement group and follow it through, but look at how all the moments of politicization uh, and their trajectories move through this uh, relatively similar uh, structural position that is still specific within uh, the European context, Uh, and then what kind of politicized um, forms they create or Where where are the moments where they don't create politicized forms out of the same tensions that elsewhere uh, breed uh, political movements? Um,
0: If I may add something, um, we have the similarities with European and uh, cities beyond Europe in terms of um, housing polarization, economic and social polarization that has been growing, uh, also, a uh, lack of affordable housing for increasing uh, number of people. Uh, at the same time, uh, when talking about cities such as Bucharest and Budapest, the main uh, um, point of difference that is highlighted also in the mass media is that the cities and countries even have a high level of uh, home ownership. Uh, over ninety uh, percent of home ownership, but the way this is interpreted uh, in the media and in the public discourses, and also in policy, often is that uh, there is the impression that there is a high number of homeowners. When in fact, this is not how it functions. Um, there, there are um, households that live in overcrowded situations in. Um, uh, home, own, uh, um, uh, home ownership uh, situations. Uh, we have many precarious homeowners um, in a wide family or family network of 10 or more people. There is only one uh, actual owner of the house or the flat. So it's important to to um, explain this concept that has been uh, very much used in the in the past uh, 10 years, since the crisis especially.
2: Thank you. Uh, and my next question is about your empirical methods and uh, the sources, uh, the data sources for the book because it's such an empirically rich book. It's very interesting to read just basically for the facts. So how did you collect all this and what was your strategy Uh, so
0: one of the um, one of the first paths was to uh, connect uh, various forms of contention uh, with structural transformations that they address or that they are structurally linked to uh, and in order to do this, we collaborated with uh, colleagues on the ground, local researchers um, that have engaged previously with these topics, and together we, we synthesized uh, studies of history of urban transformations, We synthesized uh, studies on housing policy and household credit policies uh, in the last, especially in the last three decades, but going back uh, five decades uh, even. Uh, Then uh, together with these local researchers, also uh, looking at the effects of the post-crisis, post-2008 crisis crisis. so in detail. So uh, we want to mention some of our colleagues and uh, to thank them, um, naming Mihail uh, Dumitriou, Enike Vince, Ioana Vlad, Veda Popovic, Zuzhana Poshvai, Chobo Jelinek, George Zanfir, Ondra Vigvari, and others as well. And we are thankful to them. So this was one path. Uh, The other uh, was uh, being close to uh, groups uh, mobilizing for uh, the right to housing. And both Agnes and me have been in contact since the the mid or late 2000s with such groups. Uh, Also with groups that initiated or were talking about initiating housing cooperatives or uh, struggling against evictions. And this prolonged contact gave us um, access to intensive participative observation. We were able to follow events, to participate in events, in meetings, uh, uh, to uh, be close to the public communications of these groups, uh, and also access to interviews. So we did interviews with these groups. This is the third path, let's say. Um we did interviews with uh, organizers, participants in these groups, but also with uh, NGO workers, with experts, with politicians, public authority figures, uh, whose work was somehow connected to what the uh, mobilizations were struggling against <laughs> or for. Um, so linked to the tensions that these mobilizations addressed. And just to give you an idea, uh, the main uh, movements or mobilizations that the interviews uh, focused on in Budapest were uh, debtors' struggles, uh, leftist housing groups, um, co-housing and collaborative housing um, forms of organizing, Uh, whereas in Bucharest, the main mobilizations that the interviews uh, focused on were leftist housing groups labor union organizing that were addressing issues of housing costs, um, as well as, later on, uh, participants in anti-austerity mobilizations and, even more recently, in anti-corruption mobilizations. So, um, these were the main groups that we uh, um, targeted for interviews, Um, but we also followed uh, and mapped other uh, movements and mobilizations that these interacted with or didn't interact with, but were placed together in the same uh, structural tensions and problems.
2: Thank you. Uh, And um, I think this empirical material is very fascinating. Just reading about it, like I said, is... um, is, is, is really interesting. But then you have this really kind of clear theoretical ambition in the book as well. You even have it in the title of the book, uh, the main concept that you're working one, uh, with, the concept of the structural field of contention. And I would like us to talk a little bit more about that. So what 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 is it? Uh, what were your theoretical inspirations? How, why is this concept unique? How is it different from uh, other... Theories of fields in sociology that are out there. And maybe you could also add a few words on the benefits of the comparative approach. Why does this concept work so well with your comparative design?
1: Yes. If we start a little bit with our ins- roots of inspiration, we are loosely inspired by the dynamics of contention approach. That McAdam, Taru, and Tilly developed in the sense that we too are interested in capturing the complexity of contention and the multiple processes and mechanisms at play in mobilization and contentious action. And one of the lasting legacies of that. Tradition, I think is the focus on relational mechanisms in social movements and social movement alliances uh, which has been developed then in the field approaches that has gained salience uh, where there are different attempts to combine social movement theory with field theory. But... Um, we see some problems or difficulties with the more closely Bourdieu inspired field conceptions that have dominated the field. The Bourdieu inspired conception of a field carry a lot of assumptions. One of them is that there is a distinct field logic based on doxa in Bourdieu's sense shared rules of the game and we also see a clear risk in this resulting in a reification of the field as such and of a field logic. Uh, Leading authors almost have to project an inner logic of the field. And just to give one example that's been quite prominent for some some time, it's the strategic action field approach by Fliegstein and McAdam, uh, where we see this reification of the field uh, very clearly, but also their approach is very strategic action uh, oriented as is common, actually, in American social movement theory, generally. While for us, we are interested in relationships that are also go beyond intentional collaborations between activist groups. And in contrast to Bourdieu, we are more interested in the empirical relations between actors. So this led us in the direction of Nick Crossley's work, which for some reason seems a bit underused in social movement studies. And we found his notion of a field of contention very useful. He argued that social movements shouldn't be seen as unified things, you know, uh, bound together by a common collective identity and so on, but rather to see them as fields of contention uh, where numerous groups interact within the space of a movement and um, giving attention to the shifting alliances, conflicts between them, but also usefully from our point of view, not just looking at intended actions by activist groups, but also the unintended consequences. And also Nick Crossley, much more than the strategic action field approach, uh, directed attention to the contexts of struggle. So we got inspiration from this approach, but then we develop our version or our own approach which we call, as you said, the structural field of contention approach, where we embedded the study of contention even more closely in the structural context. And here, the main difference between us and Crossley is that we see the structural factors as elements of the field. And our analytical work is really about tracing the connections between between actors, but importantly also between actors and the structural contexts. As Joanna said, uh, through, for instance, the structural tensions they address, but also the structural tensions they are linked to without explicitly addressing them. So it's an analytical work uh, we do. Yeah. So and we see those structural tensions as both producing the conflicts uh, that actors act on but also those structural positions shapes the relationships and the type of alliances or lack of alliances that develop. But Despite our focus on the structural context, we also uh, stress the importance of focusing on more contingent factors like shifting political alliances. We also don't want to have a structurally determinist view of uh, agency and mobilization, so we we also give... uh, attention to the collective agency of actors. But we see that that agency is uh, conditioned in various ways by the structural location and positions of actors. Yeah, and you also asked about the comparative approach. Uh, We think it's very useful because we can see that despite the similarities here, between uh, the structural position of both cities in a global economic order. We see differences between the types of uh, action that develops. Uh, certain actors mobilise in one context and not in another. Certain alliances develop in one context and not the other. And also we see that certain issues are politicized in one uh, context, but not necessarily in the other. So we think that we offer a framework for comparative analysis of contention across social
2: contexts. And speaking of context, uh, it seems to me that for your work, this historical context is very important, right? Uh, you start by introducing the importance of the 2008 uh, economic crisis, but then you go on to really talk about the longer history of both cities and of the tensions and struggles in both cities. So why do you think this is so important to go back in history and look at this um, kind of longer term development as well?
0: Uh, for example, if you uh, if you want to understand how uh, mobilization for housing rights in Bucharest play out today and in the past uh, decade, uh, one has to look at how this came to be and this came to be uh, in response to uh, evictions from uh, buildings that were restituted and this process of property restitution uh, is foundational for these mobilizations uh, these evictions started in the in the mid early mid 2000s um, property restitutions meant um, a form of privatization of state housing back to uh, pre 45 landlords um, or to buyers of uh, property rights. Uh, So in order to understand this, one has to look at uh, what happened uh, before 1945, who were those uh, owning these properties then to look at the uh, processes of nationalization in the 50s that transferred uh, these large properties into state property and then redistributed them towards state tenants. Uh, And when the regime change came in uh, uh, 89, these properties had tenants in them. And when they were privatized uh, through restitutions, they were privatized with tenants inside them. Um, And this also, if if we think, why was this um, uh, nationalization process possible and uh, why did it have support, is because before 1945, a property was... uh, a very unequal so uh, large properties were in the hands of few while a huge um, a part of the population didn't have access to property at all and housing conditions were very very poor and again we ask uh, why this happened and this is linked to uh, Romanian Romania's um, role as a grain exporter uh, as a, a a prime material exporter in the 19th century and early mid 20th century. So uh, its place in the global economy was at such that um, the structure of property uh, came to be and had a a long standing. Um, So... um, uh, this is one example. The other example is if we try to understand um, the debtors mobilizations in Budapest uh, since the crisis, we have to look at uh, who are uh, who who is the constituency of this uh, mobilization, and these are. Uh, income groups in the low to middle range that didn't benefit from privatization gains after 89, that uh, received only very limited state support in the 70s and 80s. And going even uh, uh, further back, they were from uh modest backgrounds and even poor backgrounds before the seventies. The so it's a long history of, um, a group that didn't have any access to state support for housing, but they came to access or they came to try to access housing through home ownership and becoming indebted. Uh, so both of these examples are linked to, um, a structural housing shortage especially for the lower income groups, which are quite the majority of the population in these territories. And this goes back a long time. We looked uh, back until the 19th century and saw this uh, deep structural housing shortage. But it also connects to um, a cyclical repositioning of different middle income groups that try to... um, take advantage from or benefit from housing policies and state support and try to uh, gain access to uh, decision-making power and negotiating power. Then there is one uh, important aspect that um, I want to mention, a long-term unequal access to property and to housing for persons of Roma ethnicity in both our contexts, but especially in the Romanian context where Roma population has been in slavery for several uh, centuries. And when slavery was abolished, there was no... um, uh, no form of uh, reparation through property or even money. So this was a long-term um, uh, limited access to any kind of property and even to uh, any kind of well-being that the, the uh, regime change from 45 to 89 uh, didn't ma- manage to completely balance or uh, hardly managed to, to balance. Uh, and this is why in the Romanian case, um, Roma groups were the first to politicize housing uh, beyond an issue of humanitarian aid or charity. So these are uh, very strongly related. Uh, then something interesting uh, you don't see a classical tenant movement in our two cases, and we we can ask why does this happen? So again, it's a it's long term histories of property, then uh, the massive um, state construction endeavor uh, between forty five and eighty nine, um, with its own problems and contradictions, and then overlapping with privatization through. Uh, um, Right to buy uh, processes uh, since the nineties, um, and this led to a uh, uh, this uh, uh, regime of property and home ownership that I told you about at the beginning. So a sort of fragmented uh, a property regime uh, with uh, small landlords and large households that own maybe one or two uh, apartments or or homes in a poor areas or poor uh, rural areas for example um, but but there are the issue of rent is still addressed in both our cases but not in this classical tenant movement way that you would expect maybe so um, Uh, housing costs and rent costs are politicized in the Bucharest case as an issue of uh, living costs compared to incomes, and it's taken up by the labor union um, uh, mobilizations. Uh, Whereas in the Budapest case, uh, we saw several forms of tenant organization uh, still active in the 90s, uh, uh, still trying to be active in the 2000s, but then their power being eroded by waves of privatization and by national level political decisions. And maybe later, uh, Agnes, you want to to, um, tell more about that. But yeah, these are all connected to um, long-term histories, uh, long-term cycles of integration into the global market and the global financial market. Um, and also linked to the role that these cities and these countries have in these global processes. Uh, And of course, as as we already mentioned, uh, the most um, recent cycle that affected these cities was the post-89 cycle of uh, privatizations and creating of the real estate market and household credit market and then the ind- intensification of uh, the effects of this privatization with the 2008 crisis and even more recently with the COVID crisis and and the rising costs. And I I didn't I started with examples because I think that this is how we came to look at uh, long-term processes. Because um, when we started to look in depth at the groups active uh, around the issue of housing uh, after 2008, and we started to look at um, their claims and how they came to be, um, we realized, and we realized we had to look. Um, behind and, and go back in time and this is how we could explain for example um, some alliances that were formed in the Bucharest case uh, between housing rights uh, mobilizations and mobilizations for heritage protection and then they broke up after the crisis because of fighting over restituted buildings. So, and also asking why uh, debtor mobilizations in the Budapest case uh, uh, turned towards uh, right political positions and not left as, as uh, uh, my colleagues uh, explained. So if you want to add anything, uh, Agnesha.
2: Maybe we'll get uh, some more time to discuss it in a a bit more details for the two cities. But uh, I think in the book, you really make a very good job of showing this development like throughout history, how uh, the contemporary struggles are connected to the past. But to maybe just summarize it once more for our listeners. So what are the main urban problems um, that you talk about in the book and who are those movement players, right? Who are what are the social movements doing about these problems? Um, maybe a few empirical examples would also be good. Uh, so to, to sum up, uh, at the macro level, the main
0: problems uh, we look at are uh, this long term t- tendency is towards an un- uneven development, which leads to a systemic lack of housing. And then Uh, the the cycles, global cycles of housing commodification and financialization, the fact that housing is exposed to uh, fluctuations of uh, financial markets and um, uh, investments. This translates at the local level into severe housing uh, poverty for a rather uh, large low-income strata, uh, which faces risks of eviction, of homelessness, uh, which is forced to look um, into informal housing arrangements in order to survive, or which is forced to disconnect from utilities because uh, it can no longer afford the costs. At the same time, um, what happens at the local level is that um, the low to middle income groups have an increased uh, difficulty to access housing despite having a stable income and they are pushed towards uh, indebtedness uh, then in between the macro and the local levels uh, the main problems at the national level are what our colleagues Joanna uh, Poshvai and Chobo Yelinek, described as uh, the duality of housing policies after 89 and this we find this to be a very useful uh, understanding or, or of what is going on at the national level policies. So what does this duality of housing policies mean? It means that low to middle income groups are pushed towards trying to achieve home ownership and they become indebted sometimes with the support of the state. And sometimes this support is being retreated or denied. Um, Then at at the same time, a very limited social housing program for the very poor, which, again, sometimes in some periods it had some resources, but uh, over the past decades, the resources for these programs are decreasing a lot. And this duality of the policy um, masks the uh, overarching process of housing commodification that we talked about at the macro level that actually affects Uh, all these groups, and it makes difficult for these groups to find and build alliances. Mm, Then um, um, what what we should say is that um, our evidence, our studies... um, somehow go together with the insight, the long-term insight from social movement studies that structural tensions and problems do not generate movements by themselves and we see that actually um, mobilizations happen uh, rather rarely or they take up only part of the structural, they address only part of the structural problem that uh, affects them and that the number of persons mobilizing is rather small uh, compared to the huge number of persons affected by that structural problem. Uh, But when they get politicized, in the the occasions in which they get politicized, um, this happens when um, structural tensions overlap with the formation of specific political alliances and um, intersect with specific uh, institutional arrangements. So in our two cases, this means that uh, tensions at the um, macro-national local level get politicized uh, differently. And in Bucharest, uh, we followed... um, mobilizations for housing rights that are organized against uh, evictions, mostly from restituted buildings, and for um, uh, claiming access to social housing. Then we also followed a more recent alliance between um, housing rights mobilizations from, from several cities that created a national platform with which they addressed issues at the national level of policymaking, and uh, with which they uh, uh, tackled a broader range of housing-related issues, also addressing uh, uh, housing costs for the low-to-middle-income categories, um, trying to build alliances with the labor um, union mobilisation. So these are this is the, these are the. Um, Mobilizations that we followed mostly in the Bucharest case. And in the Budapest case, we followed mostly uh, housing mobilizations organized around homeless uh, activists, organizing together with them and um, uh, uh, fighting against um, anti homeless policies uh, developed in the last decade. Uh, and this mobilization uh, leaned towards the political left. Uh, and in parallel, the debtors' uh, mobilization uh, that uh, took a conservative right uh, direction. And maybe you want to add a bit more, Agnish, about these ones in Budapest? Okay.
2: Well, speaking of mobilizations, um, I was rather intrigued by your uh, concept of silences and silent struggles. So that was something I, I think um, the, the kind of the classical social movement studies don't often talk about. But in your project, I, I saw why it is so important to pay attention to also those. So. What are they and how are they different from the politically expressed struggles and why is it important to talk about them?
3: Yes, so this is one of the aspects that uh, comes to light through our approach when you when we don't only look at movements and then follow their trajectories, uh, but also look at the broader structural background and the whole field of contention. So one of the examples for silences would be when you have a certain type of uh, structural tension like uh, uh, housing being very hard to access for uh, low and middle income households you either have to rent but rents are high or you have to buy but you don't have enough savings you have to risk uh, uh, taking a mortgage and and risk to get into some kind of debt problem so (laughs) this would be a situation uh, that used to be there uh, throughout the 90s uh, and then throughout the 2000s uh, to in our countries but uh, before the big crash uh, of 2008 of the forex uh, debtors uh, it, it wasn't in the air as a as a political problem nevertheless it was there as a problem uh, even when people come out and start saying uh, certain movement groups would say that rents are too high. Uh, they would be fewer than all the people who, for to whom these problems also apply. So this would be the relation that Joanna mentioned that the silence also applies as a majority issue, even when the same problem is uh, voiced by some groups. And then what we call silent struggles were instances where people actually (laughs) struggle quite actively with that situation and produce completely creative uh, solutions to it. And it's, you know, they they know this as a problem. Uh, But politically, it remains silent. So one example would be uh, those people uh, who, in order not to have to get into debt or not to have to pay those very high rents, they move to... Very urban areas and set up uh, informal uh, dwellings there. Uh, so they take the risk of having just an informal place, not having enough infrastructure around it, uh, and to you know to create the dwelling and the infrastructural conditions there uh, is a very uh, serious constructive work. Uh, they even say that they do this in order not to not to have to go into debt, uh, like the rest of their uh, acquaintances have to. Uh, so it is also stated that this is a, a, an active uh, stance on their side. But in terms of uh, translation to polit- the language of any kind of political infrastructure, uh, this problem is silent. Uh, it is not discussed. And then just to get back to this example that Joana was mentioning about, the uh, late 80s tenants' movement in Hungary, uh, you can also see how the structural change itself can change the relation between uh, the political voicing and political silence about the same issue. So in the 80s, Uh, By the end of the 80s in Hungary, uh, you were already allowed to create uh, associations. And an association for tenants was created by quite well-positioned, well-educated tenants uh, in Budapest that represented tenants uh, against the state uh, institutions that were managing state apartments because they didn't manage it too well. They were always, you know, repairs were delayed uh, because of the generic lack of public funds, because of uh, the large public debt problem uh, of the era. And <laughs> so, so they were mobilizing tenants. They grew quite fast to a few thousands uh, in a short period of time. They were mobilizing tenants to to fight for these state management companies to manage their apartments better. Uh, But on the one hand, even though they mobilized successfully, they even won lawsuits, uh, they couldn't create the funds that were not there because of the state debt, Uh, you know, state funds going rather for debt service uh, rather than going for any kind of internal investment. Uh, And on the other hand, the privatization soon started and it was exactly those better positioned tenants who started the association, who were the most interested to privatize uh, their apartments with larger benefits to themselves. Uh, And this very soon created a split within the organization and also, uh, you know, throughout time it it fell apart. um. So I I think this uh, example also shows how this silence or political expression are not qualities of certain type of problems or qualities of certain type of movements, but it is part of how the relationship moves. And our idea is that when you want to look at how housing problems are politicized by movements you have to look at the whole field of these moving relationships and not only the moments of silences or moments of political expression.
1: And If I may just add here, this is one of the benefits we see with our approach. Social movement scholars who just focus on the mobilization and the phases of mobilization, they see the tip of the iceberg. Rather than uh, the low visibility uh, conflicts uh, that may burst into politicization at a later phase. And we sometimes get the question how do we methodologically (laughs) uh, discover uh, these? Silences, but there again, our comparative approach has been very useful, as uh, Joanna and Agnes has, um, have illustrated, to see that a certain issue gets politicized in one context and not the other, like homelessness uh, is one of those examples.
2: All right. Uh, this is extremely interesting. Um, and um, another aspect of your project that I thought was really interesting, and I would like us to talk a little bit more about it, is the ways inequality and diversity play into these struggles. So talking about class, ethnicity, and also political ideologies. So how do they feature and, in, and shape uh, the housing struggles that you talk about?
0: Uh, Going again, in both our cases, uh, persons of Roma ethnicity have been um, disproportionately and historically affected by housing poverty and lack of access to property and adequate housing. So um, in the Romanian case... um, This led to housing being politicized first by uh, Roma rights groups, but it also led to uh, the leftist uh, housing contention to have a very strong anti-racist character and to always think back to this issue. And this is why um, Roma women are very active and have been very active through the years in this uh, anti-eviction mobilization. And collaboration with Roma NGOs have, has been always there, although uh, the, the groups' forms of organizing are not uh, very similar. It, it, this is not... Uh, most of the leftist housing contention groups do not have the form of NGOs. Uh, but still, they they work together, especially with Roma rights NGOs and lawyers' organizations, for example. Um And alliances are also built starting from anti-racist positions. So when a huge eviction happens, for example, um, a call out calls for um, solidarity are often picked up by Roma rights NGOs. And this is how um, further alliances uh, start developing. Uh, then in but but in the Budapest case, this is less of um, uh, of a frontal issue. It is there. It is discussed. Um, the the inequality is present and it is discussed, but it's not as uh, strong in the in the way the leftist housing rights groups organize. And we will see uh, soon why. Um, and, And this is linked to how a class is uh, uh, playing out in both our cases. Because in both our cases, there are efforts to, we see efforts of building cross-class alliances in the housing struggles, in the leftist housing struggles. And for example, in Bucharest, the common front for housing rights uh, has formed in 2013. This is the main group and network that we followed. And it had, uh, from the beginning, a strong cross-class aim. It established itself as uh, a network, as an action group formed by persons at risk of evictions or who experienced evictions and their friends, neighbors, families, and supporters, uh, including precarious uh, middle-class or uh, low-to-middle-class groups as well that all acknowledged the generalized housing insecurity and um, housing risks in the post-2008 world, after all, society. So um, the Common Front for Housing Rights um, put an accent on housing as an issue of general interest that affects not only the poorest. So this is how it tried to build uh, cross-class alliances and the the cross-class vision uh, about housing uh, access. But beyond this, to actually build wider cross-class alliances proved quite difficult. So in the Bucharest case, We saw no alliance between this leftist housing rights mobilization and debtors that were affected by the crisis, but there were no um, interactions at all. On the contrary, um, with legislative changes in the past five years, these two groups actually came in competition for the very limited stock of public housing. So they don't collaborate, they don't have... Uh, face-to-face confrontations, but the policy and uh, the, st- the structural context puts them in a sort of competition. Then the housing rights left this mobilization separated from this big wave of anti-corruption mobilizations that were very visible in the Romanian context in the last uh, uh, five, seven years, uh, And mostly this was an anti-poor, middle-class, rights, liberal mobilization. And we see also problems of class and political polarization that made uh, cross-class collaboration uh, impossible. Uh, And then even building up alliances with the labor union and taking up the issue of uh, tenants' problems takes time and is quite slow. So there are difficulties in being this uh, in building this cross-class uh, wider networks, but it is mostly visible at moments of eviction and solidarity for persons uh, at risk of eviction, and uh, it is also taken taken up in this national platform that I told you about, that uh, in the past four years uh, put an accent on um, social housing as something to be accessible to all those below the uh, average income. So not just for the poorest, but for a large strata. Okay, so this was the the Bucharest case. And in the case of Budapest um, in 2009, the group called The City is for All was formed. And it again had a very strong cross-class principle, it was built around uh, homeless activists, and it had the principle that these should be the persons representing the group and its claims, and all the educated middle-class, lower-middle-class activists should um, make space for the homeless activists to come first. Um, But uh, in addition, in the recent years, we saw the building up of a new alliance between leftist housing groups, including the Cities for All, uh, and middle-class uh, young generations that are under pressure from rising housing costs and also together with uh, progressive politicians in the opposition. So we see this uh, political and cross-class alliance forming up with the political aim to compete in the local and national elections um, against Orbán's uh, party that we know has a strong anti-poor and anti-homeless policy. So uh, this is also not a very gentle alliance. It also has its contradictions and in addition, there are also difficulties in building up alliances with the debtors' mobilization. So, although there have been attempts to build to link the two struggles, uh, the also the uh, anti-poor uh, and uh, positions of the debtors' movement and the political polarization makes it uh, quite a, a difficult, makes it a big challenge. So. Uh, I guess these are examples of how issues of ethnicity and class are uh, uh, intertwined with political uh, tensions and polarizations and how they pose uh, challenges of making political alliances also linked back to this duality of housing policies after '89 that we talked about.
2: This is extremely interesting and I hope we Convinced our listeners that they should go and read the book for this very in-depth uh, analysis of your rich empirical material, but I have a few more questions uh, to kind of summarize the overall contributions of the of the book of this project. And um, one is so. Could you say a few kind of uh, summarizing words about the concept of the structural field of contention and how it helps you analyze all these movements and all these political players? What are the main lessons that we can learn from from your analysis?
3: Yes, so maybe I will just uh, highlight some of our main conclusions that are on, on the level of this whole field that we couldn't have seen otherwise uh, to illustrate this. So one of them was that when we looked at the structure of housing problems throughout these decades, we saw that in both cases uh, there is this basic uh, dynamic of what we call the major areas of tension. which comes from the process of housing commodification, uh, but where these uh, major areas of tension that then become addressed by the movements mostly appear is, on the one hand, uh, housing poverty at the bottom of the housing uh, hierarchy. And then there you see the the way the issue is addressed through the problems of social housing, the problems of eviction, problems of uh, homelessness. Uh, And the other main area of of tension is the housing access problem of these low and middle income groups that we mentioned. Uh, Because there is this super homeownership system uh, with uh, owner-occupied housing. It's hard to rent, expensive and and quite uh, unregulated to rent. Uh, And then it's always hard for, for new households to Uh, access housing and this is also the structure of pressure towards uh, taking mortgages Uh, and this type of tension uh, on the level of the housing access problem of these low and middle income groups uh, comes out in in more mainly two aspects so one of the aspects would be the problem of the mortgage debt and the other would be the problem of the the rent prices Uh, and then we saw that the way uh, movements appear through time to address these two types of major areas of tension, uh, they are different. Of course, they are organized by different types of alliances. The way they can do their positioning within the two different national political spheres is different. But still, all of these movements uh, seem to have this major field level split that corresponds to uh, what Jana quoted from our colleagues, as the duality of of post-socialist housing policies uh, which meant that uh, since the state has less and less capacity uh, to contribute to housing and uh, housing is more and more managed by the market uh, then you have this waning branch of the Of the social housing policies which are about redistribution uh, and a stronger and stronger branch of housing policies which are using state tools to to promote market-based housing like one of the typical ways of this would be state subsidies for mortgages Uh, and we saw that the movements when they appear they are situated within these main areas of tension, the, the housing poverty and the housing access uh, problem. And then uh, the way they address these are through addressing those institutional interfaces uh, that are built by these two main policy branches. So typically, they would either say that we need more redistribution for, uh, for accessible housing accessible rental, social rental housing, uh, or they say they address the state to help them with their mortgage problem. Uh, And then, of course, our conclusion was that one of the structural causes why it's so hard for these two aspects of housing movements to uh, create uh, coalitions uh, is because if they wanted to address the housing problem as a generic problem of the commodification uh, uh, process, uh, there is no policy interface where they could address that. So the situation that you start from, uh, that that you need rent, you need uh, help with your mortgage, and the policy interface that you can address, redistribution uh, for the mortgage related policies uh, they sort of disperse uh, housing movement energies and and channel them into these already existing uh, institutional channels and another uh, main conclusion that we found and it came out completely from the empirical uh, research but it was quite illuminating for us um, was that in each and every case uh, that we saw of the politicization of housing, uh, it was not only the people directly affected by the problems who were participating, but there was always some kind of middle class expertise, activist expertise that was doing a very active translating job that uh, that translated those experiences and and everyday problems on the level of some kind of uh, policy interface or political interface, again. So to translate it into some kind of claim that can be interpreted by some kind of existing political institution as a claim, as a political claim. Uh, And then, of course, uh, how how these middle-class activists themselves are positioned within the political dynamics, what are are their alliances, what is their political culture, what are their own interests uh, in all of this, uh, also contributes to how the politicization of the the tensions are uh, happening.
2: Thank you. Uh, and what about the contributions of your book to different uh, subfields of sociology? Because uh, I can see a contribution here to to social movement studies, urban research, or urban policy research. So, how where do you see your project?
1: Yes, as. Uh, a group of author. we have one foot in social movement studies generally and one foot in urban studies. So we have wanted to make a contribution to both fields. Um, the interesting field approaches has been more prominent in social movement studies generally. And here I think we offer a, a unique um, Uh, approach, analytical approach and embedding the analysis firmly in the structural context and finding ways of actually carrying out such an uh, analysis um, that enable us, us to capture both the social and ideological complexity of contention. And we study on Housing, but we would be very happy if some authors in the future would use some of our ideas for studying other forms of social contention. For instance, economic grievances and protests, trade union activism, strikes, and so on, and possibly other forms of social contention. We also think we offer. A framework, not a strict framework, but a rather flexible framework for meaningful comparative analysis of social movement and patterns of social movement uh, mobilization and alliances across contexts. And in relation to housing and urban studies, of course, there the structural focus has been part of the analysis all the time, but here I think we give a distinct contribution because we explicitly try to unpack those general abstract concepts such as neoliberalization, uh, gentrification, financialization, and the responses by social actors to those processes by adding much more detailed knowledge and nuances and also by our approach to, to do this analytical work of linking and connecting actors and their grievances and mobilization to the structural tensions and conflicts on which they act. So our approach allows us to to, to see more nuances, but also a wider scenario um, scenarios of uh, alliances, for instance. We, we look at alliances, the absence of alliances, we look at uh, mobilizations, the absence of mobilizations, we look at parallel mobilization, by groups who act on the same structural conflict, but doing it without having context, and also framing their claims in ideologically very diverse terms. So uh, yes, our hope is to give a contribution to these various fields, and uh, yes, hopefully to see uh, someone taking up some of our ideas to pursue other empirical research, because we have really wanted to develop an approach that is useful for context-sensitive empirical research, rather than an abstract theory on
2: fields, for
1: instance.
2: Exactly. This is uh, very important in your book, and it comes through that you are very context sensitive. But I've been saving this question for last, the one that I'm personally very interested in. And this is what can research conducted in sort of the Eastern European uh, part of the world? How can it, what can we learn from it? What can other regions and cities learn from, from your? projects and from your uh, conclusions.
3: Yes,
1: who is starting? Okay, I think we have different answers to this, but um, one that I find uh, useful, apart from what I just said about uh, offering a framework for comparative analysis, uh, a framework that can capture both politicization and silences, I think it's very important for sociologists and to be able to understand both progressive and non-progressive responses to crisis. Because this is not unique for Central and Eastern Europe. I can see in my own country uh, right-wing neo-nationalist uh, groups and also political party gaining salience in Sweden And I see sociologists struggling to understand those. So I think we offer, by by our class-sensitive approach, we also take into account the rural-urban cleavage, which is very salient in many countries, including my own, Sweden. So, and also to dare to to analyze the links between progressive and non-progressive activism. The connections that we as analysts could see beyond uh, the the movement's own self-labeling and self-understanding. So for urban scholars everywhere to to focus not only on the movements that we may sympathize with, And maybe you can say something more about that, Agnes. I think you've done great work on Hungary to understand some of those more right-wing
2: groups. Would you like to add anything, Joanna?
0: Maybe, maybe to say that um, uh, this this type of approach and this type of research is also useful for movements themselves we we thought about this uh, especially that movements themselves do do uh, research in order to understand their own context so i would uh, encourage in the same directions to to look at long-term socio-historical processes and context in order to understand um, what's going on around and to be aware of how uh, public policies at the national level lead to separated trajectories for different socioeconomic groups that try to uh, access public services or, or public rights so not only housing but different different uh, forms of public services and social rights and uh, to, to be aware that um, policies uh, sometimes, Lead to this separation of groups and separation of trajectories and uh, research, uh, foreign together with movements can help to understand this and how to bridge uh, these separations.
2: Well, thank you very much for your time and for this very interesting conversation, and congratulations again uh, with the book. Uh, it, it, I'm sure it will make a great contribution to all the fields of research that you work with and best of luck with your next projects take care thank you thank you
0: thank you